welcome to the second episode of the Just Hands Poker Podcast. I'm Jack Lasky, here with Zach Resnick, and as always, we're going to be talking in-depth through a hand from a live low-stakes cash game. All right, Zach, so I've got a hand for you today. Uh, this hand was played at the Horseshoe in Cleveland, uh, 1-3. I had been sitting at this table for probably about two hours at this point. I had changed seats about two orbits ago. So I'm under the gun with 10-9 of diamonds. You know, I feel like I have a big skill edge at this table, so I make it uh, 11, which is standard sizing for the table. So let me just ask, even if you have a big skill edge at the table, I'm not sure I like that open unless you're, you know, particularly deep with some of the worst villains. Is that the case? That is the case. I am about 600 deep. Mm-hmm. So 200 big blinds? Yeah. One, one, three, okay. And then there is a guy who's playing just about every hand who's also, you know, about my stack depth. Okay. And what position is he in? Uh, he is in the small blind. Oh, beautiful. So yeah, yeah. okay, so this is a clear open then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm really trying to get involved in pots with uh, the players in the small and big blind, which is why I uh, changed my seat to what I did. They both had big stacks. Uh, big Blind had won the high hand for $400 earlier in the day. Uh, but uh, they they both end up being involved in the hand, so I'll, I'll get to them in a second. It ends up folding around through the button to the small blind, who calls, and the big blind calls as well. So the small blind is a guy in his probably early 30s. Uh, he, when I sat down at the table, had a big stack that... Uh, Sort of, he donked away for a couple hours and then had picked up a few more chips uh, in the last orbit or two. So, you know, he's just playing a ton of hands, playing really pretty aggressively, but in, in not a very intelligent way at all. And he's really just kind of bleeding chips. The fact that he's been able to sustain much of a stack is just a testament to how hot he's been running. Mm-hmm. Also notably, he's been at the casino for about 28 hours now. So already someone who likely is not that good of a player is now 28 hours into a session. Yeah. So, uh-huh. So. Wow. You know, I, and honestly, like, I, I would not have guessed that he was 28 hours into a poker session. He was, you know, a very coherent speaker. Mm-hmm. But he, yeah, his play was just atrocious, but perhaps in a way that it always would be whether or not he was... Uh, you know, 28 hours into the session. We'll never know. <laughs> Who knows? The big blind was a regular truck driver who was a really, you know, fun guy. Uh, also plays a ton of hands. A bit more of a passive player, although he will pick his spots. I haven't seen him do a ton of bluffing, but he's he's in so many hands and I've seen him call a lot of not great spots. He won the high hand, but has been sort of hemorrhaging money since. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's recently bought in. His stack is probably about $250. Uh, but he's lost at least 500 while I've been at the table. Okay. Uh, so this is the guy who won the high hand? Yeah, this is the guy who won the high hand. Okay. And, and did he put that money on the table? No, he didn't. Oh, okay. But he... I assume he was using it, yeah, you know, for his rebuys. Okay. Okay. So the flop comes, ace king five with the ace king of clubs. 
Okay, uh, so we have about 30 in the pot after rake, and you're in position with these two players. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the small blind checks, and then the big blind leads out for 20. Mm-hmm. And knowing his range, I perceive this bet to be pretty weak. What do you think it's indicative of generally? Like, what do you think his range is made up of here when he makes it 20? I think a lot of kings, maybe some draws, although I'm not sure. I think kings are more likely. Maybe some weak aces, although aces, I, I think he's more likely to check call. What is that based on? Just sort of a general thought on how people who play his style play. You know, I haven't necessarily seen... Well, I've, I've, I've seen him check call plenty, and I've seen him lead out it flops. But I guess I, I don't have... I don't know, exa- I guess, exactly what that means for his range. Yeah, I, I would say, like, as a composite, when you see someone donking out there, in my experience with players like that, again, I wasn't at the table with him, but that's more indicative of a weak ace than it is a king. I think that could, you know, sometimes be a king by the player that you described. Uh, but I think I would include just as many weak aces as kings there, personally. Mm-hmm. And this could also be a player that will donk out with any pair against someone. He Does he perceive you as an aggressive player? I don't know if he perceives me... I think he probably perceives me as an aggressive player. He sort of probably has played against people who are at least giving off sort of a tight aggressive style, mm-hmm. which is definitely, you know, by the nature of the table dynamics, what I've been uh, giving off. On the other hand, I think he probably perceives my range to be pretty strong overall. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's taken into account that I opened under the gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really only showed really strong hands whenever it's gotten to showdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't think he's betting into me because my range is really wide in this spot. Okay. Kind of just, like, find out where he's at bet with That's what I think. Something. Okay, so, um, yeah, all I would say is that I think his range is, you know, majority weak aces here, and then, you know, some percentage of kings, a small percentage of fives, and maybe a, you know, smaller percentage of draws. Mm-hmm. That's the read I would make given the information that I have from you about his donk bet here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So, because the range we just assigned him uh, is pretty weak, uh-huh. I decide to uh, raise, hoping to fold out most of that range uh, without much of a chance for my hand to improve, but thinking that this is a pot that I can likely take. If not on this street, then on a future street. So you've seen him you know, play a really wide range of hands and play it pretty passively. How exactly stationy have you seen him be? I've seen him make bad calls, but normally in a situations where he flops a hand that's very strong, and then by the turn in the river, it's clear that it's become a bluff catcher and he mm. hasn't been able to get rid of it. But I, you know, given the board, I think uh, there's a lot of hands that he's flopped and maybe donks out here that he doesn't think are that strong mm-hmm. uh, and isn't going to be, you know, as in love with and unwilling to release. Mm-hmm. So you think, you know, a good percent of the time you take it down on the flop, but then likely on the on the turn. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I make it 
55. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hoping that either the raise, you know, it's not a huge raise. The reason being, or my reasoning being, that if he takes the message now, uh, great, and I probably don't need to risk a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And this also sets me up for a more reasonable-sized uh, turn barrel. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if he is going to, you know, if he does have a hand like a king eight, uh, or a, a stronger well, hand. King is two pair. Right. Oh, okay, I see. Uh, so the type of hand that you know, isn't going to, of course, fold. Yeah. Then I'm risking less. What do you think of the sizing? Um, I think it's really just dependent on, again, what you think his donking range is, and if you have any evidence that he would donk out with a strong hand ever. I personally... From a player as described, I wouldn't think that he has a king eight, ace king, or ace eight about zero percent of the time in the spot until proven otherwise. You know, it's just something that I've almost never seen uh, a player as described with such a wide range making a you know weak donk bet into a tight aggressive player with a hand like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would still say the range is kind of what I was describing before, and I actually really like the sizing for a different reason. I think that a sizing kind of that small is going to get called most of the time. And then I think you can then make a pretty big turn bet and get that to fold. So this is mm-hmm. something that I do sometimes against donk bets that usually have a weak range as described, like it's a bad top pair or a middle pair. I'll raise it kind of small on the flop knowing they can't really fold and then barrel away really hard on most turn cards knowing that they're you know, extremely likely to fold their hand. Mm-hmm. So I actually like 55 a lot because I think once we start approaching 70, he might just fold right there. Uh, and then, but I, I think like 50 or 55 is kind of the ideal sizing there to get him to, to call most of the time, which sounds funny because we're bluffing, right. but... Yeah. Well, yeah, we're just adding value to this bluffing spot that we think is going to be really profitable in the long run. Yeah. That makes sense. I like that reasoning. So I bet 55... Mm-hmm. Uh, small blind folds. The big blind uh, thinks about it, but not for that long, and then des- decides to call. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the turn comes on offsuit five, mm-hmm. and somewhat casually, the player bets five dollars. Five dollars. Yeah. So five dollars into about a hundred and forty. So at this point. How much does he have behind again? So, he has about 190 behind. Okay. So, I, I, take, I take some time to think about this. I actually... At first, I considered... You know, if I'm... I considered the options of folding or calling. I really didn't want to fold because, one, I, I still felt like bluffing would be a good option, and two, it looks sort of terrible for my image to fold to a $5 bet. Mm-hmm. I thought about calling, but I really didn't like that because it, it didn't seem to have any real merit other than just, you know, paying $5 to sort of save my image a little bit. Yeah. Because calling the bet of $5 is almost like us both checking. Yeah. I, I think with a micro bet like this, it's you should just read it as a check. You know? Yeah. But in some ways from a player like this, a very weak check. Like not a balanced check. A yeah. check that's very weak. Mm-hmm. So after thinking about those things for a second, I just I decided that my best option was to continue with the bluff. You know, 
assuming he has the same range and you know is doing this with the same range, where this is sort of an extreme blocking bet. Yeah. Uh, so I decided to make it seventy-five. I think, in retrospect, I don't love the sizing mm-hmm. because you know it sets me up if I if I want to continue my bluff on the river, uh, assuming he calls. Uh, well, first of all, I'm hoping he doesn't call. But if he does call, and I want to continue my bluff, with this sizing, I think I have enough behind to do it, but it's not as much as I would want with a third barrel. I mean, yeah, you're giving him incredible odds there. So you, you said 75 is what you bet, mm-hmm. what you raised to. So now, if you were to call that, that'd probably be about 300, and he'd have a little over 100 behind. So... He's probably not someone who's thinking, you know, specifically about pot odds and the fact that, you know, when you're making a, a bet that's roughly a third of the pot, he only needs 25% equity to call on the river or needs to be good one out of four times. Uh, he's likely, you know, folding a little bit too much given that the, like, absolute size of the bet is over $100, which is, you know, kind of a big bet, even though it's not a big bet relative to the mm-hmm. pot. Uh I think I'm, given this $5 bet and the kind of awkward stack sizes, I'm kind of giving up on the idea of triple barreling here. I think I'm likely betting or raising to something like between 90 and 110. And if he calls, giving up on the river. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in retrospect, I think that's a really good line to take. You know, in the moment... Yeah, I wasn't thinking enough about uh, my potential third barrel, and so I, I made a sizing error because of it. Luckily, uh, you know, after I make this bet of 75, Villain really stews for a long time. He asks me if I'll show if he folds. Mm-hmm. He and I had been very friendly, so rather than totally ignoring him, I shrugged my shoulders. But I'm you know, pretty confident in my ability to not, you know, give off my hand mm-hmm. strength uh, through physical tells. Yeah. So I was I was comfortable being friendly yeah. uh, and giving him at least some sort of response, even if it wasn't a yes or no. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he, you know, after a lot of debate, decides to call. And I'll just point out that based on everything I've seen this player do, he's not someone who is being deceptive with other physical tells. Yeah. I definitely am never reading this as strength trying to disguise itself. Mm-hmm. So the river comes an offsuit three. Okay, so the flush draw breaks out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he bets $5 again. So he has about 120 behind, maybe a little less, maybe 115. It's really funny because I think if I somehow got to the river like that, I'd likely check back the river if he checks. And this $5 bet makes me want to go for it, you know? And he, you know, we're giving him good odds to call, but that means our bet doesn't have to work that often right. for it to be profitable. That was my thought. I sat there thinking, well, if I, for sure I'll fold out all his draws uh, if I move all in. Draws that could be beating you at showdown, yeah. Right. Uh, draws that likely are beating me. Yeah. And I also feel like, I've told a pretty convincing story Mm -hmm. in that I will fold out a lot of his kings and probably a lot of his aces. Mm -hmm. And I think his range is hugely, hugely capped by the way he's played the hand. Of course, yeah. So, 
you know, I'm, it's basically, you know, so this is a hundred and a bet of 120 to win a pot of 300. Yeah. So I needed to work about a third of the time, Mm -hmm. uh, even a little bit less. So I think between the draws in his range and, and King, the amount of, the percentage of time I think that he'll fold Kings and Aces, I do think it's a clear third barrel. Definitely. Uh, And so I, I made the bet. I, I sat there not looking at anyone. He actually reached for his chips, I think, to try and get some sort of tell, mm-hmm. and then uh, folded his hand. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that, that smaller sizing on the turn, while I, I still think in retrospect is a, is a sizing mistake, ended up working out really well for you in terms of, you know, the logic I was talking about on the flop of betting smaller to get value from an effective bluff in a later street. You did that on the turn, too. Right. <laughs> and that's, uh, I mean, that's something that I personally, unless it's like one of a few people that I have a lot of history with and strong reads with, it's very difficult to, you know, bet on the flop and turn to induce a call and then know that your bet on the river is going to get through enough. Yeah, I guess with the exception of people who always chase and then give up on the river. Or even not Chase, who always bluff catch on the flop and turn and then just don't call big river bets without better hands. Yeah, well, I mean, that... I think at, at lower stakes... I think that's a rare opponent to find uh, and identify. I think it's a lot more common at 2-5, in my experience. Mm. Someone, like, willing to bluff catch you, and especially usually with my image as, like, a younger, very aggressive player, but then realize, like, okay, well, when he's putting in hundreds of dollars in the river, he probably has it type thing. Yeah. No, that's a, I mean, that's a good point, and it's a great way to get value from your bluffs if you can identify that. The only, the only issue, of course, is that, you know, it's, it's, easy, it's very easy to see flat-folding errors because, you know, most players see a good amount of flops, and if they're not, that sort of is telling in itself. Exactly, yeah. Turns, obviously, become even harder okay. if they have a turn-folding error, and then the river would be the hardest to identify. But if you did, of course, then that could be an extremely profitable line to take again and again. Of course, yeah, and, and the issue here is, you know, what you're identifying. Like, even on, like, I'm thinking of, like, kind of three regular recreational players uh, at the Horseshoe in Cleveland that play 2-5 that I'd feel comfortable doing this to who play kind of like a, you know, like common style of play for low stakes or relatively low stakes live poker where they're a little bit too loose, a little too passive pre-flop, you know, definitely too passive post-flop. Don't necessarily... Uh, chase but uh like to bluff catch like younger aggressive players but don't put in lots of money without a real hand mm-hmm. so there's like a few people i could think of where this line could work and that i've employed a few times but again my sample size against them like you know i feel comfortable doing this or when i've done this in the past i've only felt comfortable doing this after observing them make these kind of river errors or like bluff catch flop and turn and then obviously look very stressed on the river, maybe over like 15 to 25 hands, you know. That's the problem with live poker. We're dealing with really small sample sizes, and even when we feel really confident in our read, you know, people can show up with hands we didn't think were in their range or could play a certain part of their range very differently. Like, I think in this hand, like, you know, while maybe we disagree a little bit on, like, 
how many ace x he has versus king x, we can pretty squarely identify his range. It's what mm-hmm. he's going to do with the range is the kind of yeah. interesting part. Yeah, all good points. There's a, one more aspect of the hand that I'd actually like to talk about. Mm. So I showed the bluff. Oh, you did? Yeah. Mm. Huh. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. One, and this is not the reason why, but this is, you know, part part of it, is I I think it's it's friendly. It might sound like it's not friendly. To no, show I, bluff, I understand. But I, I think player, it is yeah. friendly. So that's an added bonus. Uh-huh. But what's the funny thing is that this is someone I'm almost never bluffing. Yeah. My range is consistently so much stronger than his range that I'm going to get so much uh, value in the long run from just value betting this guy. Mm-hmm. That if I can keep him skeptical of my play by showing a bluff like this, on one of the few times I am going to get to bluff him out of a pot, uh, I think it's it's pretty valuable. Yeah, I mean, against a player like this, after this now, I would just go for such thin value all the time and maybe occasionally see bet but never double barrel anymore would be the adjustment. The one problem, I think, with this and showing your hands generally is, like, there are always clear, like or often clear benefits to doing so, but then there's also clear disadvantages. Like, I don't know how many strong players you have at your table, or not even strong, but just kind of competent players. They can use that in- information and really change the way they play against you. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like there were any competent players at the table. Yeah. And I think that that's a good point. The way the game was going, mm-hmm. uh, so sort of the, the, way the, the way a lot of the preflop action was going was... People, you know, there were there was a lot of preflop raising, not mm-hmm. a lot of limping, but you know, you would still see four four or five to the flop a lot. Mm. Uh, so I knew I was going to be playing a really tight range. Yeah. So I I feel like my challenge is going to be getting value on later streets. Has that been a challenge so far in your two hours? Like, have you felt like you've had too much fold equity, or you haven't been able to get value, or have you just not really gotten many hands yet? Uh, I have, no, I feel like I have had a lot of fold equity because a lot of people, you know, when, when you have so many people who are playing these really weak ranges, Mm -hmm. uh, they end up making, you know, correctly too many folds on the flop and turn because they just, uh, you know, don't have very many strong hands. So I feel like if I can keep more of those marginal hands around, considering how strong my range is going to be compared to theirs... Uh, it'll be to my advantage. Yeah, of course. Uh, I rarely find myself in a situation where I have too much fault equity. Uh, and again, that's just kind of like the image I give off and the style of play. Uh, not even that it's necessarily different in terms of you know the actual actions I take, but uh, people just always think I'm an action player by the way I just like talk with them. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... It's just really rare for me that that type of thing makes sense, but I know that, like, you know, you'll never, like, smile it's in a hand. theoretically or, possible. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, I'm someone who's, like, always talking throughout hands and smiling, where, like, you really have the whole poker face thing down and, you know, could definitely see that at certain points, like, you can just have this kind of grinder, super tight aggressive image where people don't want to mess with you. So mm-hmm. I could I could see that being valuable, especially when you're really deep stacked against the small blind, you know. Uh, like, do you think he's gonna incorrectly adjust and start calling down way too much? Yeah, and he's someone. He's actually 
the person I feel like I've I've missed some value from. He's uh, kind of correctly folded his bluff catchers on. Yeah. Yeah. Or in and to be honest, I'm not sure that with it's been a small sample and he plays so many hands that very easily he could have just always had nothing and I could have gotten more than my fair share of value from him. Yeah, of course. But I, I have had a regrettable amount of turn folds from him. So yeah. I'd like to try and keep him around in pass. Of course. Um, I think the last thing I would say about that is just that this definitely makes more sense if you're seeing a lot of multi-way pots. Because you're kind of playing in some ways like a a bingo type of poker where you're playing a much tighter range than everyone else and then you're just trying to extract maximum value when you hit your hands, you know. If the mm-hmm. play, if the play is this loose passive pre-flop, sometimes even if you get really big raise sizes, it's difficult to isolate. Yeah. Uh, so that definitely, all those things make it in favor of showing. But I, I would still not say, like, even in light of all those things, it's definitely a clear show just because... Even bad players will consciously and subconsciously use the information that you give them uh, correctly a lot. So you're kind of just banking on the fact that people will over-adjust rather than, you know, adjust appropriately. I definitely hear what you're saying, and I, I do think that by giving this information, I'm, I'm giving people a way to play better against me generally. But given the way the game is playing and how my strategy will be different than it would otherwise be, I think the adjustment, while maybe correct generally, will be wrong for this game, which is exactly, made, yeah, exactly what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, why I made the decision. Yeah, so just in wrapping up, uh, one thing in retrospect I really wish I had taken a stronger note of was what this guy's uh, donking range versus check calling range looked like in pots where he calls. And, and there was a large enough sample size that I really should have had a stronger read. So that's something I'll look to improve uh, in my upcoming sessions. Cool, man. Well, I'm glad the hand worked out in a vacuum, and it was a really interesting hand to talk about. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, to continue the conversation, feel free to head to our website, Just Hands Poker. You'll find in our strategy section a blog with today's hand history, and we invite you to share your comments. In addition to the strategy section, you'll be able to find information about coaching on our website. To stay up to date, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Just Hands Poker. You can also find us on Facebook. And finally, if you haven't subscribed to us on iTunes, please do. And if you're so inclined, uh, leave us a nice review. All right. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.